And now, ladies and gentlemen, your hosts, the Rolling Stones. Hey. That's a good quote, man. You, you've taken that from somewhere, I think. I just thought of it. I woke up this morning and I was just like, you know, I quite like I quite like brown sugar. I quite like yeah. give me shelter. Wasn't this so, man or anything, no? Who's that? I don't know who that is. Oh, just Never old John Lennon, you know? Lit. 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 On. Let. Bees. That's weird, mate. What are you, what are you listening to, Ashin? Come on, mate. He's just, he's just mad, isn't it? Just let it's it be, mad. mate. Just let it be, mate, all right? That's, That's the kind of... Good. Go on, go on. Good sort of saying, actually. I was going to say, let, let it be. It's a good concept, isn't it? For kind of like a film, just documentary leave. kind of album. Or you could just leave it alone. I mean... Or I could talk about this. Does anyone know what this is? This is obviously a monkey. Do you know what type know of what monkey this is? I know what beanie it is because baby. I'm... It's not a beanie baby. This is oh. a hanging colobus monkey. A and do you know? Colobus. Do you know how they greet each other as a friendly gesture? They belch, in, they belch in each other's faces. Now, one of us here is very good at belching in people's faces. Can well done, you guess Ashim. who it might be? Well done, Ashim. Oh, look, the monkey's told us. Tesla. Old Meslar himself. Now, Old can you Mesler, give us a friendly yeah. greeting, Merritt, in the style of a colorless monkey? Um, it's very yes. simple. Go on, you got it. Oh, I knew you. <laughs> there it is. And now my belch is uh, on Spotify for anyone who wants to play that back. Um, that is patented. It is copyrighted. Yep, yep. And you, if you sample it, I will know, and I will take you to court for me. How much do you want for it? For if someone samples that, if someone flips that on a hot track, well, because we live in a generation and a world now where you can you can purchase a, a photo or a video of something for millions, uh, but you don't actually own that photo or video. You own a receipt, so you've got the license of it. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm going to go with a hundred grand. 100k, yeah, yeah, I feel 100 that. grand. I think that's a fair price. Covers the uh, basis. I'd, I'd insure okay. it as well. Sure, your throat. Sure, my throat. Because I mean, you're going to be in high demand. I mean, El, uh, Eric Clapton insured oh, yeah. his fingers five million. Uh, that's true. <laughs> that's his work. That's his business. You know what I mean? So you exactly. Just, you kind of got to feel Taylor the... Swift insure her legs. For what purpose? Like she just in. Insured her legs for a few million. But she's not a footballer. I know, but she still hey. has to perform with the hey. le- do you, you know the lovely slender legs. Lovely no, slender legs. I think <laughs> I think O'Sheen has a crush on Taylor Swift. This <laughs> this is hit in the gutter and yeah. it's not even. You're going to get me in trouble, mate. You know that. <laughs> I did, I didn't tell you to describe Taylor Swift's legs to me, O'Sheen. How dare you? <laughs> but the, it is it is uh it is accepted i've been meaning to say that is that how you say your band's name elusis 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 yeah. yeah. i actually well what would you define your band as like kind of metalcore ish there's elements of metalcore in there yeah. there's elements of death metal melodic yeah. death metal well, whatever basically yeah Basically, I had a band that was exactly that genre, like kind of metalcore, but, you know, heavier than metalcore, like kind of into death metal as well. And it was called Elise. And it was spelled wow. quite similar, like in my first year. In, there you go. In BIM, yeah. It was mad, yeah. 
O'Sheen, oh, I think you've got enough grounds to sue James and that whole band and make a bit of crust. Well, he has IS at the end, I think. I think ah. it's it's very similar to the way it's spelled, but yeah, it was mad. What I'm mad. saying yeah. is, look That's at ice, look at Ice Ice Baby and Under Presser. We, we never adds, release anything, so he adds one note, he still gets sued. So I'm saying, O'Sheen, you've got a case there. You got a case. Well, the thing, case. the thing with that, he hasn't really got a case because oh, there's no music on Spotify. Oh, is None. there though? Could have had, you could have done release recordings right now. None, none of Elise, anyway. If, if we recalled uh, the months band and we were, <laughs> you know what I mean? That is a little plug because Ocean is a band called The Years. It's spelled YRS, I do believe. Um, uh, no, it's that's it's just normal. like a shortened down for. I'm an idiot. For, for I'm an idiot. Mez, shut up. Ocean, plug your band. Go on, Ocean. Yeah, so we're spelled The Years, the, you know, Y E A R S. And we're on Spotify and all the other streaming platforms. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, we're on Instagram, Facebook. Give us a follow. Really helps us out. We're releasing a, a song. Well, uh, while, when we're filming this video, it's um, going live tonight, actually. At, yeah, uh, 12 o'clock. Yeah, th it's uh, the 27th today, and it's, it's out the 28th. So it'll be on we'll, Spotify. We'll, we'll pop a link down. We'll pop Don't a link down below. Yeah. I listened to the nice little clip. I like it. It's like it's like turnover, like peripheral vision era turnover, but just a little bit more cranked. That's what I like about it. It's more, oh, more full thanks. on production. I'm hyped. Thank you. Yeah. I have listened to yeah, but I will. It's a bit it's a bit like we were always kind of like smitsy. Well, that that's what I thought of us as kind yeah. of smitsy guitars and uh, ish. And then um, you know, popular versions. Smiths, I guess. I've heard uh, your stuff before, of... but not not for uh, a couple of years. Not since you've released anything recently. Yeah, like... it's the first time in two years we've released anything. It's just been crazy, uh, you know, with COVID and everything. Obviously, I, I'm not the only one in that boat. But um, hey. yeah, we've been uh, <laughs> like I I do everything. Like I record and mix and um, write and whatever. It takes me a long like I'm. I'm pretty unexperienced when it comes to producing and mixing takes like literally recording all the stuff takes a day or two. Then it takes me bloody months to mix, man. It's, yeah. it's head wrecking. It's terrible. It's manic, it's manic isn't it? Yeah. Um, like you, I, I kind of feel sorry for my, the other lads because, you know, they're just waiting around all the time. I, I guess, um, Mez is that like you, maybe you have one hard, really hard day of recording and then you're just waiting around just like oh yeah I went, i'm just waiting for that bloody mixing engineer to get back to me with the mix and we're doing the hardest shit ever uh rocket science and audio and you're like i just yeah. want it i don't care <laughs> it, it kind of is like that we we opted yeah. to um like so we used a, a recording studio for drums um because as i'm sure both of you gentlemen will agree with me uh when it comes to drums uh, there's oh, a very specific practice that has to take place. You can't just do it at your house. Mm -hmm. You can't just do it with like a really simple interface. It's so much better if the drum's done properly and then everything else. Because our our singer, a guy called Josh, um, he basically, he, he studied, at, uh, I think it was DBS actually, production and stuff like that. And he's been in bands, met loads of metal bands before. So he's experienced with it. And he's got a really cool, uh, set up an interface thing at his house so he also built an iso box 
really, really cool. Uh, he borrowed a cab off of um, a friend of his who took our first promo shots, actually. Ali, his name is, takes amazing photos. Really recommend it. Um, and um, it's a Zilla cab, and it sounds amazing. Really, really cool. Sick. Um, really me, yeah, me and my me and my other guitarist, we um, we put together. Well, we basically just took our amps over there, and um, we. Are you, um, able, are you able to see that? I can see it peeking. I can see it peeking below. A little peeker. Yeah, I can see that. That's all you need, mate. Well, a little yeah. line six. <laughs> Spider Love three, the old line six, spider panel. three. If if do, you know, you know. Do you know? Yeah. Just uh, sorry, I'm, I'm getting nerdy, but I don't care. Rasheen's here, and I will get nerdy. It's my podcast. <laughs> uh, my face is on the mug. That's true. That is true. See Along that. with the new merch that's been updated to get yourself nice. down to the Etsy store, we have nice updated merch. And when it arrives, little sample batch, and I give it to Mez and see his little face light up. That's gonna be the best, the best. Christmas. That shameless plugging, lad. Nice Gotta be one. done. Hey, pa- Patreon, hey. YouTube, yeah. Instagram, you know, Twitter, you know, probably have a LinkedIn next week. Who knows? You've got to pull yourself out, all right? You have to. And when we get the LinkedIn, our CV will be enormous. So you've just got to make sure of these. Anyway, sorry, just quickly. Line six amped, no as bad as people think they are. They just never use them. Anyway. My point was going to be, yeah, it kind of does get long, but our plan was we got these four days. Um, my other guitarist, Cameron, he's going to do the first two days because the second day I was gigging. And then I'll do the Sunday and the Monday, which the, the man in the funky shirt you're looking at dropped me off at half past four in the morning at uh, my sister's house. I let myself That's in. That's a good friend for you there now. Jeez. Oh, yeah, good lad. For I mean, free as well, for free. Let's, let's well, remind everyone well, he I'm so he, gracious. I didn't he, ask for any money, all right, everybody. He, I'm he, I'm so kind. Yeah, well, he does get paid petrol for you, so I'm not father figure. Figure. There you go. See, there you go. Now he's got um, three dads. He's got three dads now. I have no. But <laughs> so yeah, that's that's what done. just for the listeners. We are, I think, planning on releasing it around March, April time, and I will not be quiet about it. So prepare yourselves because I will be talking about some nonsense. So if you haven't clocked in, you're watching it on your video. What's behind O'Sheen? That nice letter B box set that he discussed in full from the last episode. We're talking about the Get Back documentary that came out. I think it was in November last year. Is that correct, O'Sheen? November? Yes, I believe so. You believe so? It came with a lot of things. The Beatles Get Back book. Nice little transcript. Nice little kind of things with that. Um, Deluxe box set came with it. We've all watched it finally. You know, it took us a while, you know. I was I was fairly late. Merritt was on the deadline. Oshin watched it about fourteen years ago. You know what I'm saying? He was yeah. prepared. He was prepared. I was I literally like, wait, a refreshing it. Like, oh, yeah. wait, oh, the first episode, yeah. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I literally watched him so so quickly. It's great, isn't um, it? Within it's the great. two days, just three days, I probably would like they released them. Uh, uh, you know, the first episode, the first day, then the second. And then the third, um, I probably would have watched it quicker if they didn't split it up. Yeah. That's how much of a nerd I, <laughs> I would have just got a six hour segment just gone in there. So we can all agree, right? I think it's fantastic. I think we're all on the outset just like, this is a brilliant film. I think it does everything justice and it feels very complete. I felt very, very um, satisfied and complete after watching it. I was like, wouldn't have wouldn't have made anything different or wrong but you know 
we want to pick stuff apart. I say we, I want to pick stuff apart and get these two lads to pick stuff apart with me. You know, so you've got a little structure going on. So what I'm going to say is throw out some questions. So what was I expecting going into this film? Now I'm going to throw it out to Mez. Mez, what were you expecting going into this Get Back film? Honestly, I didn't know what to expect because it's um, it's a band that is surrounded, it seems, by a lot of um, a lot of like um, almost lore at this point. You ever heard that term before? Lore? Oh yeah, um, Fol- folklore. Sure, for folklore. Yeah, it's 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 like surrounded only for like by... Star Wars and yeah, 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 yeah. That, absolute that, nerds. That yeah. sort of Sky- thing. Mate. Skyrim and Lord of the Rings. Oh. I didn't expect. <laughs> Come on, you can do this. Even though we're interrupting you, we got it. We're professionals now. Come on. <laughs> I didn't expect to see as much of. Um, sorry, are we saying what did I expect to see, or what didn't I? Yes. So, what were you expecting? Right, I'm going to get my you know, best voice. What were you expecting going into the Get Back documentary, James Merritt? What were you What were you expecting? I was expecting, in all honesty, a quite sterile version of four talented musicians who had had enough of each other and were arguing consistently and starting to hate each other uh, because we all know how the story goes. We all know how the story ends. Um, That was what I was expecting. I was expecting six long hours of snipey little comments followed by, should we do this number then? Yeah, okay, Glenn. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, That was That was what I was expecting to some degree you know um yeah i i other than that i didn't really know what to expect um i am a beatles fan i'm certainly not as big a beatles fan as, as you two guys i love the Beatles, but it's um it was an interesting insight into a band that i love and uh yeah so i didn't really know what to expect but if i had to put my money on anything it would be four people in a hot room who have had enough of one another uh, are just having a go at any given opportunity because that was the impression I got. And I agree. I think to echo your sentiment, that was exactly what I was thinking going into it. Very sterile, very just like animosity floating around, a lot of more confrontations and just kind of the music was secondary to all the drama. But I also thought, okay, it's Peter Jackson uh, directing it or compiling it from low, like 80 hours of footage, something crazy like that. 150. 150. So I'm, I'm almost 50. 150. Man. Yeah, I do check my facts, everybody. Don't worry about it. I'm just trying to. <laughs> um, but, I, you know, I thought there'd be some sort of Disney-esque thing that would kind of sheen over the top. I knew that there was going to be some sort of like, like Phil Spector putting all the kind of strings on it, where it's very lush and cheesy. I thought there was going to be something like that that was amended, that would twist the narrative somehow, because my knowledge was that it was so bad and terrible and horrible. And it kind of started on the White Album where, you know, people were, Ringo was leaving and they would, they started doing separate songs and separate studio bits. I thought, okay, it's like that. And just look at the shambles kind of go, you know, books like Revolution in the Head, the way they paint out those sessions, not good. So that's what I was expecting. Oshin, what were you expecting going into this? Yeah, well, um, I have obviously seen, well, I say obviously, but because I'm such a big Beatles fan, I've seen the original uh, Let It Be movie, and it's very dark and gloomy and horrible, and is it, 
like it's so low quality the one that I've, I've seen anyway I, well apparently it was never even released on dvd it's just uh vhs you can you could ever get it on well it's still to this day it's still not uh out you know on have DVD you seen it Blu-ray. huh how, how have you how have you seen that i didn't know you uh, i found it i had to kind of dig around as a website called archives.ie or some or dot com and it's there um it, it's also where i found the um anthology beatles thing it's on okay. the archive yeah um and yeah like i was thinking how the, like because it honestly didn't seem like there was that much um content from the that that film like it's literally we still have the, the three acts in that film and um but it's literally them jamming out a lit like the tiniest bit of dialogue of them chatting and then there's like the the main part of the dialogue is uh the argument between george and paul yeah. that's the longest one you know where he's like um i didn't mean to say that and then you know that bit and um you know, just from that, because that was the longest part of dialogue in the film, it, like it had this kind of um, dark quality to it throughout the whole thing. There's actually fi- 55 hours of, I was just showing the back of the book here. So it's 55 hours of restored footage, uh, but they had 120 hours of original uh, sound recording. So, you know, that that's why in this film you have bits where the dialogue doesn't, hundred percent match the uh visual yeah. because they've obviously gotten uh audio they say it, from they say it in the intro of yeah. uh, each episode i think they're like a little disclaimer um, to yeah yeah they don't want yeah. to upset us nerds <laughs> oh don't you worry well, I, got some I, I was expecting yeah i was expecting um like a more and then obviously i heard uh rumors about peter jackson actually years ago years ago about this project that he was doing this and he was saying that oh yeah it's, it was actually like a real happy experience and um i was thinking oh really well um because even even though everyone was there um and no doubt that we know now it, it was a good time and everyone's laughing throughout the whole thing like even in the anthology the, you know they were t- thinking back and it was such a, such a bad time man such a bad time and they literally tell um if you don't know aren't familiar with the anthology series it came out in the mid 90s and it's um i believe it's eight or nine i think it's nine or ten episodes and each episode goes into like an album and um a bit of the making of the album. I thought there'd be more about the making of each album, but like the kind of what is going around, um, you know, the band time, you know, like them touring and and they're going to uh, America the first time and then throughout the whole career. But they literally tell the whole thing in in an hour and I was kind of thinking, how are they going to... And then I I heard it's eight hours and I was like, okay, so how is this going to translate? Like, how is... Um, one hour going to be made into f- eight hours. Yeah. Do you know? I thought, I was thinking, oh, wow, it's going to be so much filler and like unnecessary stuff. Because uh, as we know, um, Peter Jackson, he made Lord of the Rings, well directed Lord of the Rings, and he did um, special editions on, uh, well, 
the director's cuts and they're like four hours long, you know, four and a half hours long. Yeah. So like he loves doing that, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's so like, I was expecting like a lot of filler stuff, but yeah, well, that's it. I, I, I'll, I'll save what I did f- find out for now, but um, we will, we will. But yeah, like Peter Jackson would be the person if they wanted to pad it out and make it so fillery. He's the dude. Yeah. He would be the dude to do it. So I guess that, yeah, I can see where the concern is. James, mm. you're Mez, you've got a nice relaxed stance there. I like that. Cause you, cause he's ready to Point dive up in like that. And you'll yeah, be like that. He's ready to uh, dive in. You know what? The other two points, you know, before the show, we had a little briefing about, you know, guys, I want to structure it like this. I don't even think we need to go into the other two points, but you know what I knew going into it. We all know, you know, we're Beatles nerds through and through what I didn't know going into it. You know, I didn't know George Harrison had size eight shoes, right? Now I do. So my life is now a bit more complete. But you know, in 10 years' time, there's going to be so many more Beatles facts. There's probably going to be a Let It Be super uber deluxe. You know what I mean? Like, these hours of footage have got to be released somehow. Somehow. Yeah. So, if it was up to him, he'd just put it out 55 yeah. hours. Yeah, without a doubt. Right. So let's just jump in. Let's just jump in. So, you know, there's we've got points to discuss. We can talk about what we like, what we don't like. But I'm going to jump straight in with one of my points now. The overall consensus that you get from the anthology or from books or any kind of sources pre-letter B was Paul was quite bossy. Now, mainly due to the infamous fight between him and George, if you want to call it a fight, it's just like a disagreement, really. It's a little bit heated, um, which is ironic because they're in a very cold studio in the morning. But, you know, ever since Brian Epstein, their longtime manager, kind of uh, passed away around about Magical Mystery Tour time, Paul was leading. Oh, they were in India, wasn't it? They were in India, yeah. They're like, like, yeah, I think they're like just about to leave or they went to one of the Marrakesh's um, retreats before they went fully to India. It was something like Mm -hmm. that. But it's all all in that kind of thing. But Paul, like someone had to take control and especially then when they were delving into harder drugs around what, 66, 67, 68, um, they just needed some sort of direction and Paul being very over eager and too enthusiastic um, and just being like, right, let's just work on songs, work on songs. This is unfinished, but try this one, but try that one. I can see how he can be irritating. I can see that point of view, but I don't see that in that, in this film. You know what I mean? I can see him irritating the others when it's like, let's do Maxwell silver hammer for the umpteenth time, or let's do let it be when it got to take a hundred or take 99 it gets over the top, but all of them did that on their own songs. Quite a lot of takes like we discussed on the box set one, John Lennon doing mother for take 68 or something crazy like that. You know, that might've been part of the course of the Beatles. Yeah. Might've been part of the course for the Beatles, but I don't think it was part of the course for every single band, but you know, they did what they did. Um, But what I think this film actually shows, it shows a man that's dedicated to music. He only wants what's best for the group. He's constantly coming up with ideas all the time and new songs, often on the spot. Get Back, the song Get Back is a perfect example. He's taking all that rage and that frustration and he's just sat down and he knows his, even though his weird, erratic, loose brief of what he wants the whole thing to be, because even towards the end of the film, he's still like, well, what are we actually doing? Is this the film for the album or is this the film for the documentary? Do we do a TV Mm. show afterwards? But he still knows like, the songs need to come out. And then it's nice when you see that nice bit at the end when George Martin hands in that slip of, here's all the songs you've got. 
and he goes, oh, we got enough. And you can see it in his face. He's happy. Yeah, like, yeah. It takes yeah. the stress off. He stops brushing his hair back and looking back and forth and, and things like that. But I just see him being very enthusiastic and he's so enthusiastic and eager for other people's songs like old Brown shoe. He's straight in there. Like, um, dig a pony. Like he wants to get involved. And I think that's good. He's always encouraging. I don't think he's disparaging or he looks down on people. I just think he gets a bit tongue twisted and then gets frustrated. What do you think? Yeah. Well, um, actually a good point about this book is right. It, um, this is basically all of get back, but it's like, um, you know, it's every word documented. It, it's got like, it's like a script, you know, for a whole film. Yeah, like a transcript. And, uh, a tra sorry, a transcript. Exactly. <laughs> Get your and, bloody definitions um, right, O'Sheen. Come on. Come on. I'm dyslexic too, mate. Leave me alone. <laughs> um, so, like, the word for word, they put in what um, Paul uh, says, you know, like, candidly. Mm. And it just, it's hilarious to read it. And it, it just does not work as a sentence when you're reading it. Um, I'll just... Uh, I'll just like, passage. yeah, give us a little passage. I'll, this is O'Sheen's do a little passage. passage. Um, it's just we all used to sag off every school day and go back to my house, and uh, the two of us would just sort of sit and write Lovey Do and uh, Two Bad Sorrows, and there's a lot of then, you know, um, there's about hundreds of songs that we have never reckoned because. They're just uh, very unsophisticated songs, you know, and, uh, you know, they're, they said our love songs was fun that the day of our friendship begun. And like, it's just all, you know, you know, you know, and, and it's, it's just, rambling. It's weird. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? It's just, um, they put in every single, you know, I, I'd love to count every single, you know, <laughs> that should be a task. That should be a task. Are you are you up for that task, Oshin? No. Every single year, but, no. Someone's got to be. Someone's got to be. It'd be insane. But um, do you know? He was me saying that. Nice. And, um, I actually got this before, like a few days before. When kinda, yeah. uh, when I watched that scene, um, I remember thinking at the time, like, this is a side of Paul I haven't seen, you know. And objectively speaking. Um, you can, I don't know. I don't think he was being overly unpleasant when he was talking in the first episode, when he was talking about, oh, you know, I'm always the boss and I don't want to be the boss. I don't want this. He's not being that unpleasant, really. No. But it's just the fact that it's Paul McCartney. And in my brain, I see Paul McCartney as this really easygoing guy. You know what I mean? Really sort of... Yeah creative really sort of like you said marvelously enthusiastic and keen to get everybody's ideas involved um well, the, yeah absolutely that, yeah, that's a yeah. thing that i uh was surprised about actually uh, just back to what we were expecting i was yeah. expecting to see more of a, a joint effort because it's all you know when you think of the beatles it's like lennon and mccartney and i was kind of thinking oh we'd see a lot more of Lennon holding the reins. But I was really surprised by that, that it was like literally Paul was kind of the ringleader and uh, Lennon was just like nodding to Paul. Oh yeah, that's great. That's great. You know, 
Um, he was like his. He was like his deputy, wasn't he? Really, less, yeah. But uh, he, less he's so than... I think he's obviously feeling guilty that you know it's not the two of them calling the shots all the time, and it's always been like that. And obviously, we know uh, um, John is the he started the band. You know, evolved from the Quarrymen to the Beatles, and uh, he was always the the leader of the band and now he was kind of you know he was telling him what to do uh and i was he was feeling guilty obviously because of that i think that's what that was and even in in the film itself uh when they have that secret conversation well they have the conversation yeah. in the cafe i think paul still goes john you're the leader like you're the leader yeah you're so the there's leader. even still yeah. that dynamic of you know lennon knows that and still has that power but yeah. doesn't have to do anything but an interesting thing that I'd seen, so in part three, or even actually no, halfway through the film, you can see Paul kind of relenting slightly. Like, I feel like he doesn't read the room uh, mm. up until about halfway through the month of like all the sessions. He's just got blinders on. It's kind of like what I do sometimes yeah, with Mez. Like, writing. I'm not reading the room. I'm just going for it. Let's do this. Let's do that. Come on, guys. Let's keep going. Oh, I've got this idea. Like, it's just ping-ponging everywhere. But you can see that he kind of just takes a back seat and just knows that he kind of has to go with the vibe of what the room is. You know, at this point, halfway, <laughs> Billy Preston's there, which has definitely, definitely diffused the situation. Everyone's, you know, on Big their time. best behavior. Big you time. can see Paul McCartney just going, okay, if we're going to jam relentlessly for a couple of hours, fuck it. That's what I'll do. I'll just, you know, I'll play drums. I'll mess around. Yeah. He knows that he just has to let it take its course. And I think that was... That was the right decision for him to do. It seemed cathartic at that point. I think he would have got too stressed. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's, um, I think the other factor, which I think is more of an obvious thing, is probably why you didn't say it, Marv, is obviously George Harrison pretty much just quit, didn't he? He was like, I've, I've had enough of this um, and I'm, I'm, I'm not coming back. And obviously they had to have another meeting after John Paul spoke. Mm-hmm. And eventually, George left that second meeting feeling happier. So I think there was a level of McCartney where he was like, "Okay, I need I need to hold back a bit here. Then you know, I need to mm. I need to less, you know, maybe maybe not be as as Paul McCartney as I am. You know, and um, obviously Harrison's got songs on on Let It Be, mm-hmm. I Me Mine, Watch Tune, and stuff like that. But it's um. Yeah, I think I think that also fed into that. That sort of influenced him. Uh, but I agree with Asheen as well, actually. John Lennon, not only does he seem to be the most hilarious man on earth. Yeah. Funny, funny guy. I was crying at points, absolutely <laughs> cracking up. Yeah, it's hilarious. Um, he uh, he he did really seem to take a back seat, and he yeah. did really seem to sort of sit there and sort. He was happy to just chill, you know, and. It's not the John Lennon that was in my mind. I had say same as what you Absolutely, were saying, Machine. Yeah. It's I had the very sort of headstrong, controversial individual. You know, things are going to be like this, and that's yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Um, he said something in in that private conversation. Mara spoke about about how he um, he's talking about uh, bringing ideas into the studio, and he was saying about how if he brings seven ideas in and six of them he's not really fussed about, but one of them like Paul takes and runs with, he feels like that's not his idea anymore. And he doesn't like where he's taking it, but he doesn't really feel as though he can say anything about it because Paul's making progress on it. 
and he's making it happen. So I think mm-hmm. there's, there's two levels of it because I think it's unfair because in one breath, Paul McCartney's probably sat there like, looking around going, okay, we have like less than two weeks here um, mm. to get all this done and we need to get it done and no one else is doing anything. So mm. I need to structure this. Like you said, when Brian Epstein went as well, it probably just fed into the state of Paul just going, okay, I'm going to take over here. I'm going to make sure he does that, he does that, and he does that. And we're going to make sure it all gets, you know, finished within a deadline. But I think, yeah, absolutely. Is his, um, his taking a back seat, I think, definitely was detrimental to the to the comfort of everyone. Obviously, Billy Preston coming in. What a great guy. What a great player, Billy Preston. Every, yeah. every time he played something, it was the best thing ever. It was amazing, yeah. It was so good. Yeah, it was amazing. And um yeah, he just he just seemed to have such a sense of humor about him and like yeah, amazing play. Like you said, every time he sat behind that rose, it was like magic's about to happen. So good. You know, it was really cool and the roads had has got an amazing sound and he just knows exactly what he's doing with it, like you know. Um, but no, yeah, and um on top of that, just one little side note, like she's gonna get a mention somewhere. Because Sheen already knows where I'm going with this. I expected a lot more flack and dislike towards Yoko. Hmm. The beginning of episode two, where Paul's just like, I don't think it's anyone's place to tell them whether they can be near each other or not. It's not my place, certainly. I was just like, whoa, this is not what I had in my head at all. Like, geez, like, because he he does he and I think Ringo agrees with him. He's just like, yeah, it's not mine either. It's not anyone's really. It's just it's if they if they want to be that close, then they absolutely should be that close, and that's the way it should be. And I was like, but everyone went on about how Yoko broke up the Beatles, you know, for years. I was just like, it's all Yoko's fault. But no, it's not. She's just she's there, but she's not yeah. like stopping John doing anything. She's not creating tension in the room or anything like that. And Later on, obviously, Patty turns up, and so does so does Linda. So it's not like it's an exclusive thing. Yeah. So yeah, I I really I've, like the yeah. fact that that also gave me that perspective. If you saw, I mean, it was like okay, I can see what John and Yoko are like together mm-hmm. in that sort of context, and it's not it's not horrible and filled with tension. It's actually quite sweet in a way that she wanted to be near him all the time. It would it would annoy me. But he was fine with it. He was fine with it, and he allowed it, you know. And I, it's the, it's the images of him cross legged on the floor with the with the Fender um, bass five, I think it is, yeah, bass six, six yeah. that he's playing, yeah. And he's just, just rocking back and forth, just playing this thing. And she sat right next to him, like leaning on. Him. I was just like, that's really actually quite sweet. Yeah, I um, <laughs> have kind of discovered something with this book, right? The, this I. Th- I think maybe this was a transcript for an early version. Mm-hmm. Like there, there are slight differences in, okay. in this to the film. And there's actually a transcript of a conversation that features a lot of Yoko. Um, that's not in the film. That's not oh. in the series. And it's about uh, when they're, you know, there's a lot of confusion. They don't know um, where they want to do a gig. They, they know they want to play to an audience again. But they don't know what setting or, you know, and they don't want to go out to a load of screaming kids. 
again and not be able to hear themselves. That's the last thing they want. And Yoko is uh, suggesting a lot of these things um, to uh, actually talk to Paul. Like it doesn't look like John is saying a lot at all uh in in this bit i i won't read it all out because it's just going to be too long but um yeah it, it makes me wonder you know was there more of yoko that we're not seeing in this like because that's been edited out what else has you know yeah, okay. possibly have been edited out you know this brings like, a very good point brings a very good point i'll, I'll let you continue but yeah brings a very good point um i don't know i get i get like Everything, every single um, documentary that has been around that I've I've watched, they're all very um, John Lennon or or George um, uh, focused. Or what am I trying to say? Like it's pro John and very pro um, George, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's all you know, John or. Uh, Paul, you may just do Maxwell, Silver Hammer a little times. And, you know, I got that in the anthology a lot. And uh, now that it's, you know, mainly it's just Ringo and Paul. They're the last two Beatles that are um, uh, verifying or, or saying, yeah, that's okay to put out. It does make me wonder, you know, if John was still alive, would he have let Yoko be, in, be more in it? Do you know, like... um. I, I, think the an- I think the answer is yes. I think from what I can remember from books, again, I use revolution in the head a lot. And I remember this period from that book. I think that they had a car crash up near Scotland, uh, Lennon and Yoko. Yeah. Um, they had a bed installed there. So they used to be in bed together underneath the covers, you know, yeah. while people are still there doing, doing whatever you do in the sixties, baby. And uh, Yoko apparently had a microphone over her so she would ask demands like if she wanted food and more and stuff like that um there's the infamous thing about um the chocolate digestive on george's amp or something and yoko took one and then there's like argument there like little petty things but then you know that gets brought up in the film doesn't it when paul he's like i can see it now you know the beatles broke up because yoko sat on an amp like it's weirdly like prophetic like how the symptoms just predict the future so i think it's a huge misconception i i agree completely that there's things there it's definitely been edited to show a more positive light because i don't think it was as happy as it looks which brings me on to the george harrison thing so george harrison yeah. kind of not participating or leaving now there's a great youtube channel which i think i got from machine pop goes the 60s where this guy mm-hmm. deep dives into things and it was just before letter b came out so a lot of the audio transcripts, which are in that book, he had had, and he was going through it and cross-referencing cross the other books. Now, Before Get Back came out. Before Get Back came out. Yeah, yeah. there you go. We're, I'm going to get this confused so much because I'm just looking at the album, let it be. Get sorry, back. sorry. It's all right. But, you know, I feel for George and the whole thing, you know, um, he's nearing his full creative peak in terms of songwriting, being confident enough with the songs to share them and work on them with the other Beatles, you know, like, He's still got to operate under the weight of Lennon and McCartney. And that must be terrifying because it's like, they are, you could just guarantee them for songs. Like George doesn't need to be writing songs and contributing to them. Um, You have Mm -hmm. Lennon and McCartney, but you know, towards the end, he's, you know, making masterpieces in my opinion. Um, But what's interesting is, oh, especially with McCartney's dynamics as well, that McCartney was kind of, 
wanting the perfect part in like two, three goes, some songs, even though he would say like, let's just get the bare bones a bit. And then Harrison's like, no, I need to kind of go home and get it under my fingers. I need to think about it. And he admits that he's like, you know, Eric Clapton can just come up with stuff. It's amazing. It's brilliant and praising him. He knows what sort of player he is. So he's, he's come from that regard, but what they don't talk about and what this pop goes to sixties guy mentions, which I'll link below is that he was actually having an affair with somebody and Patty Boyd walked out on him two days before he quit the Beatles. Mm. And to me, that's a major, major contribution to why he quit. The film, in my opinion, makes you to believe that he can't get on with Paul. He's feeling a bit creatively restrained. And he just goes, he seems a bit mope and he just goes, well, I'll be off then, lads, get a replacement. And I think that's false. I don't think that's, it doesn't hold enough weight to me. So um, Patty Boyd left him on the 4th of January. It was Eric Clapton's ex-girlfriend, Charlotte Martin. Obviously, Eric Clapton then went on to date Patty Boyd. Yeah, that was that whole love triangle um, because Charlotte Martin was staying with the Harrisons when they'd just broken up. And then George got a bit more acquainted than he should have. So Patty Boyd left him. And I know there's a couple of other instances that I'll go through about how much of this is true to life. How much of it do you want it to be true to life? This is a film. It's, you know, it has to have some sort of storyline to it. But like, what's your thoughts on the whole George Harrison leaving thing when you know now there's more to it? Than what's depicted like um i see it you can see it from both points right both sides like imagine you're paul right and uh you've come up with this concept for a tv show you're doing this tv show and you're writing and then you have this guy coming in oh yeah i i think we should uh forget the idea of this show uh i don't want to go um abroad to play anything i don't want to do this and then um there there's a bit where uh you know it's gonna um don't let me down paul is trying to get him to do this harmony for the first time in my life don't you know it's gonna last don't you know it's gonna last and um george is like if you had a tape recorder in here now you'd throw that out straight away like that's (laughs) that's rub you know and he really does have this negativity like everyone like John and Paul are just bouncing off each other. Yeah. And George is like, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that. And Paul, never get, Paul never gets as negative as George does. So I think the person no. that should be the most annoyed or whatever is George, really. I think he's the saddest. Yeah, but, you know, like if I was Paul and all I get is negativity from this guy, of course you're going to say something. Yeah. But then, you know, like he was, he was quite like, you can see Paul getting fed up with him. Um, when he, there's that segment, like you were saying, uh, oh, uh, I, I'd like to go home and, uh, work on the song. Like, I'm not like Eric. He can just pick up something straight away. And, um, I'd really like to do that. And he, like, Paul is just kind of taking the mick out of him a bit. He's like, oh, that's, but that's jazz, man. That's, you know, that's jazz. And then uh, he's like piggy in the middle. And then jo- John is saying something. He's over at the piano at this stage. Yeah. And um, they're both kind of like, oh, what, what do you want to play jazz for? What, you know, they're, and, and, and then, you know, they're playing. I think it's two of us, isn't it? And they're like, 
you think about the time and uh, it's 19 it's the start of 1969 and there's you know eric clapton obviously uh around playing blistering solos there's Jimi hendrix exploding in london um and he's obviously trying to find himself as a guitar player he's certainly a lost guitar player and he's there with the wah and he's kind of trying to go you know and john or i mean paul is like you know what the hell what the hell are you doing you're it's too complicated and then he's like it's not complicated and um and then it, it, it's nearly to the point where anything he played at all it wasn't good enough you know and yeah. i've i've certainly been in that position so i can see uh george's perspective as well because he's there like if i make a sound at all i'm gonna get given out to kind of thing like what yeah that yeah. Uh, the tension like it was so much worse than i expected actually it was way it, more gloomy than i expected yeah which bit. which i think i really think that is i mean especially for the first half of the film i think that perpetrates all the way through but i think just b- between clever editing and the kind of you know i ironic or 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 pun intended disney schmaltz that they put on it it does really kind of add i would say about 25 30 percent more positive vibes that maybe weren't there what do you think mez what's your kind of take on this whole george harrison pool thing i mean give you a look at the scene we're talking about nice for anyone's listening we got a nice little twickenham shot because they're in the twickenham studios early on nice and cold early morning starts which obviously doesn't help with your mood and things they've got hardly any songs they're scraping the bottom of the bar they're going all the way back to their early you know teen days um so yeah he picked the best time to quit really and he came back and then he was happy ever since plus i think george harrison wins the award for best dressed i think he was absolutely i think he was the coolest dressed mez Give me a thought. Yeah, sure. George Harrison, Paul, all that stuff. What do you think? Oh man, there there were some points in the first episode where it was it was uh, it was it was almost awkward. You know, it was almost yeah. awkward when he'd be I don't know trying to work a part out or something, and you could you could see him. He was kind of just a bit like, well, you you know what's what's going on? Does Paul like this? Does he not? Um. You know that scene where he's just like, just, just tell me what to play, then, like, just tell me what to play, and I'll play it. Like, and that obviously feeds back into the later conversation that John has with Paul, where you know they're talking about they're talking about that sort of subject. And yeah, definitely. I mean, knowing now that Patty left him two days before he went, I've had enough. I mean, yeah, it, it, I think it should have been noted. But also, I suppose you have to keep in mind that Paul and Ringo uh, were the producers, part of the production team on this uh, on this film, and it's kind of um, I don't know. You wouldn't. I imagine they're probably to some extent still in contact with with George's son Danny or. Or I think he's got he's got a couple of children, didn't he, George? He had a few. Um, just had the so, one. Just had the one. Oh, did he? I thought he yeah. had a couple. Okay. He had a second um, wife, Olivia Harrison. Okay. Um, so it's kind of like I, I I would assume he Danny's still in contact with Paul, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to paint his dad in a bad light. Do you know what I mean? You wouldn't want him to be like, well, he cheated on her, so 
he he got in a bad mood because she left, and then he decided to leave. But obviously, it's a combination of things rather than just all basically, you know, being being a bit not lording it over, but sort of you know that is it seems it's a bit more. And George's perception of Paul being this way, it seems like it's a natural builder. I mean, Asheen, you made a great point just then about Hendrix exploding in London exactly at the same time, mm. you know, he's in Clapton, where he was at that point as well. It's, it's like... And he's like best friends with him at this point. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. And it's so it's kind of like... Um, it, it, there, there's another level of finding your place and knowing who you are. Because, I mean... He, even if you're a Beatle, I imagine there's still a level of self-doubt in there somewhere, you know? Oh, they're all self-conscious, you could see. I mean, Ringo, yeah. maybe not so much, but there were humans in the whirlwind that was the Beatles. And, you know, like with back yeah. to the anthology, they're just like, you're in the eye of the storm and you just got to keep on going. The only solace they ever had when on these touring years was when all four of them in the bathroom, they just lock themselves in the bathroom and that was it. Yeah. Apart from that, it was complete chaos. Yeah. But you make a good point, Merritt that, you know, George isn't there here to defend himself or to correct anything. So that has to be respected. And I would say if I was in that position, I would rather have the storyline. They're both true. I'd rather have the storyline that I walked out of a band because I had a disagreement with somebody else. Mm. I'd rather have that perpetrated. But I guess the overall question, which Alfredo Sheen is, how much does this really impact the documentary, the fact that that's not in there, that George Harrison cheated on his, or let's just say George Harrison's wife left him before he left the Beatles. Overall, what does, how much does that really impact the, the, the whole storyline narrative? Well, I, you know, I think the casual fan would be like, you know, what what's the whole, um, they'd be wondering why is it such a hullabaloo over playing a few parts on the guitar? Um, well, like, uh, to be honest, I didn't, I think I what may have watched that video, Pop Goes 60s, uh, ages ago, but I actually forgot that point, yeah, mm. that he, uh, Patty did leave him, but, um, I don't know, not, not really, it doesn't really affect it that much, like, he was definitely, um, disenchanted with the Beatles, uh, you know, being the kind of, just the guitar player, in the band anyway so uh, you know he was un- unhappy for years anyway yeah so I, I i think something might have happened like that regardless like if he was still with her you know yeah i agree and there's a there's a really interesting bit of the um kind of near the end um where he's talking to john i think paul's in a meeting or something and he's saying like it'd be really cool if like you know, all these songs that instead of bringing them in that have been around for ages, that if I just did one on my own, and he's like, we could do it with the Beatles as well. You know, that'd be good. And then John's like, well, yeah. And then we could all do one together. So the only band that have done this is Kiss with varying degrees of success where they all released a solo album while being in a group. Um, mm. But the Beatles, it's weird to think the Beatles came up with that concept and to think all of their first albums that came out McCartney won, All Things Must Pass, uh, John Lennon, Yoko Ono Band. And I think Ringo's is called Ringo, which is great. Can you imagine that coming out with, say, Abbey Road? Like, phenomenal. That that would be the even bigger great ending 
I think that yeah. would elevate them to just even more superstar gods. Can you even conceive yeah. that? Yeah, I really like that bit. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. And it's um, it's always important to have these little bits of context and be able to see the whole the whole thing of like, well, what if this had happened? You know? Having a high top factor is definitely something that plays into this, you know, especially with a lot of the things that are said. And obviously when you're in the heat of the moment with certain things, perhaps there's some sort of um, angle where, because Ringo doesn't seem to say much at all throughout the entire thing, like very, very little. So perhaps... Yeah, I was surprised by that, yeah. Yeah, in fact, he looked quite sullied and done throughout a lot of it. He was just kind of sat behind the kit like, Okay. But then when it when it came to the business side of things, uh, he was more talkative. But like when yes. he's behind the drum kit, he literally was a mute. You know, he didn't say. Yeah. And he, yeah, yeah. And he was depicted as again. He was depicted as sad during that yeah. whole thing. But I don't think he was. He knew his not that he knew his place. That he's been told his place. But he just played what needed to be said. And I think he was better comic relief than Lennon because. There wasn't any like snarkiness to it. There was no passive aggressiveness to it. It was just pure great Ringo. And that comes through like when he's trying to get Octopus's garden, he's playing it with George, like such a great moment where they're just figuring it out. Everyone comes in. You can see the level of respect they've got for Ringo and he doesn't even have to say mm. anything. And I think that's great. And then like yeah. he get he get he feels really ill. He, there's like a lot of shots of him with his eyes closed, led back. Like yeah, he looks like he's great. asleep. Yeah. But there is a like again in part three, there is a moment where you know they're hashing the songs out. I think they're doing the long and winding road, which I'm going to get to in a bit. Where he is just like I think he just falls asleep. He's just kind of just chilling because maybe he can feel the tension. I don't know. I don't know. But and Paul Paul kind of goes. Uh, he he said he makes he says some sort of comment about the drums being quiet in this bit or something like that. Yeah. I, I laughed at that. Instantly, he goes a bit sad and sully. You don't see him for a few minutes when they're jamming, no. and he suddenly cuts coming back. Yeah, interesting. Mm. Yeah, interesting. it is. It is interesting, and it's like I said. I think I think we mentioned it on the last one. It, it for me, it was strange to watch John Lennon, um, in particular because he's this. He, at this point, he's this mythical creature, you know. He's this—he's almost this this legendary like animal that no one sees. He's very, very rare. And then all of a sudden, he's just in front of you, just smoking a cigarette, drinking a cup of tea. Like you know what I mean? He's—he's yeah, yeah. he's, he's well, just being partly, John Lennon. That's partly because he's—you know—he died so young in 1980. You know, um, yeah. And there's so yeah. much, like there's so. M- so many uh, interviews with Paul McCartney in the last few years. So it's kind of like the the mystery of him is, you know, he's not as myth- mythical as John now, do you know? Yeah. And then George has kind of got that status to him as well. You know, you yeah. kind of wonder what he was really like. Um. Yeah, but I, I was really su- surprised by that. Like, th- this is around the time there's um a part where, it's it's near the end actually in the third episode where uh, Paul is like, "There's no payoff for this. Uh, I just feel like next week is uh, John's going to be in the band or in a bag with Yoko uh, in the um, Royal Al- Albert Hall. Like you know, it'll be down back to, to that weird stuff. Uh, so he's starting to do all that um, weird stuff with Yoko. Uh, yeah, I 
the bagism thing. I don't know what that was really supposed to be. Do you, do you know, uh, Marv? It was kind of like, um, oh, you don't need to see our faces. We we are who we are, regardless of how we look or something. You know? Yeah, they were doing interviews with with just in a like a kind of uh, woolen kind of bag or stitched up bag. Yeah. It was meant to symbolize something, but again, it's like the, you know, the, the bedding Real. for peace things and stuff like that. But, mm. you know, I think we said it from an uh, earlier, you know, the whole John Lennon, like, like with George Harrison. Uh, but like what I'm trying thing, to say but... is he, he, it's the point where he's starting to get political and uh, politically charged and uh, really kind of serious, you know? And yeah. then all of a sudden you're seeing them joke around for hours playing, uh, you know, rock and roll standards you know like that they used to play in hamburg actually there's so many nods back to hamburg like it's literally they've played shea stadium they played everywhere but then they're kind of like going back to those first gigs in hamburg all the time through the whole thing i thought that was fascinating i think because they're in that mode of we're going back to no overdubs and everything which was just like their first at least first what three to four albums were just like made like that basically then, then you yeah, get we, to help probably they, you know yeah we should probably say that um yeah that that's what they aim to do at the beginning to make literally a, a a bare bones um them in the room just write writing a song in front of the camera and then performing it live to an audience like all the songs and that would be the album like it'd be a live album but like you know a live studio album which is kind of what we got anyway because a lot a lot of the well i think it's three songs from the rooftop ended up on let it be but um this was the first effort well this this was supposed to be the the album cover get back and it's um paying homage to their first album cover it's it's the same location and they're looking down as the the now older mature beatles even though it's only like seven years later. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it never ended up um, um, how they wanted it. Um, it never was released like that. Uh, there, there was obviously there was there was bootlegs of this over the years, but we only got this um, 50 years later, the way it was supposed to be initially. Um, j- just bare bones, them recording to tape, um, no overdubs. All, you know, all life. Yeah, and I think another part of it is that, obviously, for the Beatles timeline, this album, Let It Be, came out uh, after Abbey Road. So Abbey Road was the last thing the Beatles recorded, but Let It Be was the first and actually last thing that was released. But I think there's a theory, because when I get onto the Long and Wine Road in a minute, I think that it actually had been abandoned, but Lennon had given Spectre the green light to mix it and put on strings. Yeah. So, and then McCartney hated it and tried, I think, unsuccessfully to get involved to stop it. So I think it did actually get aborted, which would make sense why it came out the way it did album cover-wise and all these things, because by that point, in 1970, they just hated each other. Too much water under the bridge, creatively, financially, all that things. So Mm. maybe if it got released when it was men to come out pre Abbey road, I think yeah. it would have looked like that. And then they may not have done, <clears throat> they may not have done another album and all the songs they would have worked on that look at the other ones, all things must pass Teddy boy. Um, all those things would have just gone to their solo records. That's what I think would have happened. 
Yeah, actually, um, I was reading uh, this book again uh, recently, and there was another conversation I don't remember from the um, the show, and it's them in Apple Studios talking about, uh, you know, they were like, oh, this, this is kind of a surprise album. We, uh, you know, I don't really know what we're doing here. We're going to, um, they were already talking about the follow-up album to Let It Be, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Do do you remember that in the show, in the series? The only thing I, I the only thing I remember is Paul being like, um, he says it on a number of occasions to other people, like, this is what we do. And when we got our backs against the wall, we do work and we got it on them. Yeah. But we're always ahead of ourselves. We always think about the next thing. We haven't done the original thing, especially early on in the series or the episodes. Um, he's saying about like, we just waste this time and then we suddenly cobble it together. That's the only yeah, mention yeah. of those kind of things. But um, I'm trying to kind of say, like, even if this did come out at the time, um, it was supposed to before yeah. Abbey Road. Like, they still would have done Abbey Road. Like, they were already planning that they knew you that reckon? they had. You reckon? Yeah, I think so. Because they, like, from, if you read this um, conversation, like, I wouldn't be able to find it that quickly. But, um, yeah, they're, they're definitely, they're already talking about an album after the, this whole um, TV thing, which is interesting. Yeah. I don't know why that didn't make the, the, the cut, but yeah, well, it's like, definitely, yeah. Like, like the same with, like I said, when Paul McCartney's like, well, what's this film for? Is it the documentary for these, do these songs live on the live performance with this, 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 like it is that cobbled together nature. And like I said, when George Martin gives him that slip and he's like, oh, we've got enough for that. And then obviously yeah. they must go back and go, we've got enough. That's probably where it planted the seed of it. But I guess like anthology, where they're doing it album by album, I guess there's no need to talk about um, Abbey Road. Maybe that will be all of the off cuts you get from this project, the Get Back project, will probably be in an Abbey Road special. Who knows? I just want to bring up the fact that the, um, for this film, there was actually a, a breakthrough in, in sound design. Uh, okay. for um so basically what what you had on this and wh why I was saying before on, on the let it be uh original film done by M Michael Lindsay Hogg which is the director um all they had was like a mono audio track um recorded by the camera for a lot of that candid uh stuff and in the original film you could not hear a word and actually, there's a um, a point where George is like a bit pissed off. He's like, "Are you recording our conversation?" And they're like, "They're saying, speak up. We can't hear you." And it's like, "Oh, we we don't want you to hear us, you know." And yeah. um, I was kind of thinking, oh, "What what are they noodling for? They're all noodling while they're playing. Like, why is that?" And they were actually supposedly doing that on purpose so the candid cameras couldn't hear what they were saying, <laughs> you know. And uh, it worked, you know, because you can you can't hear them. But um, Peter Jackson, it, uh, it was kind of a blessing that I, in some ways, that this was pushed back because he said it gave them time to uh, perfect this new um, software that can, like, this was impossible. I thought this was impossible. I didn't think this would ever happen. But um, they they are now able to separate. Uh, mono single track so like you'd have 
the guitars playing the the drums the the talking and they now have ai to um distinguish who is talking like they they know who john or they know john's voice so they can like take it out of the mix and you have that soloed and then you uh you know you can solo things now that were impossible before to solo that's you know? insane, that's insane. Like, so be, before like you can make they are now able to make a whole mix out of just one mono um track and um yeah it's amazing like i i saw a video on youtube where it was going the same bit of dialogue from let the original let it be film to get back and it's literally just like a load of feedback and you can't hear what george is saying and then it's crystal clear like they're able to isolate his voice from a mono track i can't believe it like i it's so <laughs> cool insane. i can't believe it and like it's crazy because like there's so much noise in the background and and um peter jackson's like when, when we isolate the vocal or the the voice it's like it's in a um an iso box it's like there's no echo to the voice whatsoever it's amazing it's an amazing unbelievable that's yeah. insane it's mad and, and you, I, you i'm really know. excited you never know yeah i'm really excited uh with this breakthrough actually because um they've done they've re giles martin has remixed uh the later beatles albums now and um there was speculation you know will he be able to do the the earlier stuff like please please me and that was like like all done to three track i believe or two track even and the, you wouldn't be able to separate any of those tracks but now he can like with this new Insane. yeah so there we might get a new uh prop you know really good stereo mix of uh the first beatles albums now because of that i, I think what will happen is that when that happens those mixes will be the new standard for how to listen to the Beatles. And I think what will then happen is you think about, let's say 20 years time, 15 years time, that might be being generous. I don't know. It depends on how accessible the software is. If it gets down to a kind of easier level that kids who then get into the Beatles, that's they'll just start with that. There's no need to go first pressing. There's no need to go that maybe that will just be strictly, like we said, for the audio files and the people who are rare, rare collectors that maybe you don't even play them anymore because there's no need you want them on a certain technology on a certain thing. You don't want vinyl play. You want it on this, on your watch or something like that. They'll use these special AI uh, interlaced, whatever it's going to be called mixes of these songs. They'll be the definitive ones and they'll be the ones to base off of because the sound will be that good. Like it would be impossibly hard to compete with. That's what I think is going to happen. Mark my words, everyone. All right. Give it 10 years. Um, you say that, but the way I see the remixes at the moment, I kind of think, um, like, I think the original mixes should always be there. But if you want to hear a different side, or, you know, I just, just, it's good to have the option, the more clear modern version, and then uh, the more of the era kind of, um, like, for me, the, like, I, I, I'll always prefer the, the, the original makes a sergeant pepper yeah uh, i think that'll always be the standard uh, but i think for some people it'd be like you know the new remix so yeah it's interesting to think you know will, will they fizzle out the original mixes and in favor of the these remixes but um yeah only time will tell i guess 
You know what? I'll re I'll reshape my my answer based on what you said. I think what will happen is they'll have the original. They'll have this AI, whatever it's going to be called. Who mm. needs to hear the 2009 remaster? What what purpose does, will that have if you've got a really good, superior, modern version and the original? There's no need for 2011 and a half, 0.5 Dolby, but kind of MTX mix that you can hear on the left side I've of your often, four yeah. focus. I've often thought that, though, because you you get like 20th anniversary remixes and then 40th and then 50th and then so on what and so forth. Do, yeah? exactly. It's like the... It's like the 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 Elvis back catalogue must be ridiculous. Yeah, because obviously, given uh, for for those listeners at home who don't know the full backstory of Elvis Presley, um, he obviously with all that stuff, that management company, that label, they had somehow copied everything, meaning that. Um, Anybody else who managed him couldn't get any money out of his his live performances, even. <clears throat> and that is when we get um, having fun on stage with Elvis, whilst Elvis is having fun on stage with Elvis on stage, having fun with Elvis on stage with Elvis having fun. Um, but even then, just even them, even yeah. then they stopped. <laughs> um, they stopped that, didn't they? So I've often thought, especially with older artists, because I. The copyright, I do believe, was was it fifty years after death, or some or something like that. And if the artist had passed away fifty years or forty years or something after that, you, their music can then be reintroduced to public domain. It was something yeah. like that, I think. Um, I think in some just way, be, some areas, yeah, yeah. Just well, that's before, why classical music was always used on ads. Well, I yes, more, more so uh, when I was growing up. You don't hear it much more anymore, but. Yeah, like Bach and Beethoven or whatever. It was always on ads because it was public domain. But the uh, yeah, I just I just kind of thought it'd be a strange thing. But on top of that, I do believe they recently changed it to lengthen right. it just before Elvis had passed that milestone. Which it made me think, like, mm, you're not quite done making money out of Elvis, are you? Mm. Yeah, I think he's um, made more money now he's been dead than he was yes. alive. I think that's a common thing. Yeah. And he was like, still. same, same with, same yeah. with Nirvana. Yeah. yeah. Same with, same, same with Queen. Um, Here we go. Turn, so, no, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. We're talking about get back, Martin. Um, and same with the Beatles. Do you think they'd be as, pro- well, yeah, of course they would, but would, do you think the deaths of John Lennon and George Harrison add to, the the sort of leviathan prolific sort of thing they have i wish the answer was no but it kind of does um mystify it a bit doesn't it It makes it more legendary you know but uh obviously if they were still together maybe we'd get a lot more music uh well if john lennon you know like we we didn't get he died so much earlier than any well than George like George he actually didn't have that much of a back catalogue um we might have gotten uh, one or two more albums out of him but John we we certainly would have gotten loads and loads yeah um but yeah uh yeah it 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 definitely does it, it it's a thing with artists um apparently in art the art world the paintings uh 
inevitably go up in price after the artist has died off. Yeah. So I, I think it's um it's the same with, with music, will with the artists and music, you know. And I agree yeah. with you. And to add on to your point, it's definitely yes, because they don't have a chance to mess up their legacy and to mess up and be like, I like the Beatles in this period, but their 80s is terrible. Their 90s was terrible. Black Sabbath, prime example. Absolutely. Just, just not yeah, the same band the, in the 80s. Yeah, yeah not they the same. the inevitable decline. Yeah, and again, to yeah. be outdated and to try and reinvent yourself, which a lot of bands can do. Led Zeppelin, again, they didn't get into the 80s full swing. You had In Through the Outdoor, which was definitely polarizing. It's my least favorite Zeppelin album. Um, yeah, but they just couldn't do that change. You know, they try an anthology. They came out with Free as a Bird. And there's another song, uh, Real Love, um, that was yeah. from the tapes of John Lennon's home demos. Okay, yeah. that's what the Beatles would sound like in the 90s. Fine. Didn't fit in. They weren't in good favor in the 90s. I must admit, you know, the Beatles weren't cool. Same as Fleetwood Mac. Weren't cool to like them. Now they're just in Legacy Act. So I think, yes, definitely. They hadn't had a chance to mess things up because... The nice positive outcome is that if they're all still alive in, in 75, 76, I think McCartney and Lennon jammed, there would have been a chance of them getting back together and then they would have made music then. Um, but the worst side would have been is that they would have done something after Abbey Road. It would have been terrible. And like with the Magical Mystery Tour film that came out in black and white, on the TV and everyone's like, this is terrible. Not how it's meant to be viewed. They probably would do something like that. There'd be more glitches. They get more humanized. Cause that's another thing. Like O'Sheen said, John Lennon and George Harrison would be more humanized. And especially now with uh, social media, how you interact with people and Paul McCartney being mistaken for a new artist when he was on that Kanye West four or five second song, Hilarious. the mystique would have gone, you know, George Harrison. Yeah. Uh, I think the closest he got to that was he did that web interview in about 2000 talking about the chord on hard days night. Now to me, that's funny that George Harrison was around when web chats and things were evolving. So it just makes you think. And then you see Paul McCartney on an Instagram live with Josh Hom. You're like, this is weird. This is strange. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It is odd.